If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about handling conflicts in your relationships constructively rather than destructively. We'll be talking about specific steps and tools that you can use before, during, and after a fight or disagreement with your partner to keep it productive and positive. Oh, man. Oh, man. Fights. Oh, man. Fights. Love them, hate them. I honestly, I don't think there's anybody who like loves conflict. I think everybody identifies <laughs> right. as I conflict avoidant to a certain extent. But I yeah. think they're essential sometimes to a relationship, to the uh, growth of a relationship. That's something we'll be talking about in a bit here. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd say maybe I would put it not that fights are essential, but that they're most likely inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so understanding how they happen and how you can be more constructive with them and also hopefully avoid having more of them find more constructive ways than actually Mm -hmm. like fighting Mm -hmm. to resolve things um yeah and maybe there are people out there i'm sure there are people out there who are like no i've never had a fight in my relationship ever uh and that's cool and hopefully that's because you found other ways to deal with your conflicts and not because both of you just bottle everything up and never yeah don't talk about anything right and then in 50 years it's going to explode Right. Or you just are miserable forever. Hopefully that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found in my life that some kind of conflict, which some people would call a fight and some don't, is is inevitable, right? Would you, would you say? Well, it's just the nature of being human, right? Until we are able to hive mind together. Mm, like the mm-hmm. Borg. Like the Borg. Until we're able to Borg together in our relationships. <laughs> you know, you're, you're never going to have a human relationship that doesn't have some form of disagreement in it. I think that's pretty easy to to accept yeah i've also found that i've had relationships many relationships where uh the two of us will have different definitions of what counts as a fight Mm, interesting that Mm. you know there'll be some kind of conflict or disagreement and to one person it's like oh we just had a fight and to the other person it's like oh what i thought we just like talked through a disagreement like that Mm. i think the word fight is interesting because it carries with it different connotations like disagreement i think is a little more clear it's just like well there were things yeah. where we had a different idea on something. Yeah. But I think both conflict and fight, they're like a little bit, can be a little bit loaded. Like yeah. they have a little extra. Tone of voice or something. Uh, yeah, for me, yeah. for me, fight, if I'm going to describe something as a fight, it's like we've switched into going after each other mode. Mm-hmm. Like we've switched into like not, you know, unnecessary communication and maybe uh, just, I guess, switching into the destructive mode, I think. Versus an argument yeah, in my emotional. head is kind of like, well, I, I see for me, an argument in my head is like there's been some kind of emotional intensity there because it's a, it's a disagreement that wasn't just resolved within five minutes, essentially. Like yeah. when it becomes an argument where there needs to be a lot of back and forth or an extended period of back and forth. I mean, not like talking about any of this matters anyway, because everyone's going to define it differently. Yeah. It's, I feel like I tend to have a more liberal definition of, of a, what counts as a fight. Mm. that do a lot like i might call something a fight even if it wasn't 
really destructive and it wasn't like personally attacking each other or anything like that. If it was what other people might just think of as an argument uh, or even just a heated discussion or something Mm -hmm. that like I'll tend to use fight kind of more casually. And I've found that I've had a number of partners who are, uh, you know, bothered by that or upset by that. Yes, I I do get bothered by that sometimes. I was trying not to call you out. (laughs) Interesting. Are we having a fight right now? Right. See, so, that, no, so that was me being you. That was me being That's, you. Yeah, I would call that a fight. Yeah. <laughs> not maybe not quite that that liberal a definition. Um, but that's the other thing that brings us to our next point here is that uh, if if there is conflict in your relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship's unhealthy. Because as Dedeker was saying, it's not like we actually become one flesh and one mind where we no longer have to discuss things or we'll ever disagree about things. Uh, So just because there is conflict doesn't mean that the relationship is necessarily unhealthy. Yeah, and kind of what I was saying at the beginning is that it can be this opportunity for personal growth or the growth of the relationship. Um, (laughs) I was watching the show Ozark and the two main characters, Laura Linney and Jason Bateman, get in like a really big fight. And the guy who lives in their basement hears it and he says, Hey, if I had a fight like that, my ex wife and I might still be together. And that was Jeez. interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, it just struck me because I think often, yes, it can be this way to like air one's grievances about the relationship, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can. Hmm at least like say hey these are the things that we need to work on and maybe it can be like a next step moment Mm. or like what do we actually need to talk about here what do we actually need to think about to move the relationship forward i guess i guess to argue for the sake of arguments like that (laughs) is that like sometimes for some people i think it takes some kind of emotional investment in order to be better able to speak their truth as it were of what's mm-hmm. actually going on and to actually share their feelings about what's going on. Sometimes people, I know there's a number of people who have a hard time verbalizing their feelings if they're not feeling them in the moment. Mm. And then some people it's the opposite of like when they're feeling something in the moment, they're like that part of their brain is not able to really verbalize it. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, but I know for some people, it's kind of like not until I'm actually feeling where this is hurting that I can actually pinpoint what's really going on and and you know, be able to express that to my partner. Yeah. 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 There's, uh, there's so much to talk about just, just within all of this. Um, but we do want to actually get to some, some tools and techniques and things that you can do. Um, yeah, I think all of it's really interesting. I was just the other day. Um, I, I don't remember where this was. I'm sorry that I don't remember, but someone was talking about, Um, they were using a more binary way of defining being in a relationship, which means it's romantic and sexual and not being in a relationship and saying that you don't have fights with anyone like the fights you have with people you're in relationships with. And they were kind of drawing this parallel between like loving someone and fighting with them, which, Hmm. uh, you know, I guess they were trying to make this correlation between like, well, we fight, in a, a a rougher way maybe with our family mm-hmm. than we do with like acquaintances or, mm-hmm. or random people and that we also do that with our loved ones in a romantic sense mm-hmm. anyway it really got me thinking about that though and it, it, obviously that's not the topic of this episode but i think that's something interesting to look at as well of like how do we treat 
coworkers versus friends versus romantic partners mm. versus people that we're having sex with but that are not romantic or people that are romantic but not sexual right looking at all of that and being like huh do i have different rules about how i argue or fight mm. with this person or when i choose to do that i think that's something worth calling attention to because yeah. as we talked about way back when on our fromance ships episode that we bring a lot of kind of weird baggage and attachments about things and i think fights are a big part of that when we sort of define a relationship as being in a certain category it like yeah. gives us permission or not to treat them a certain way mm-hmm. and i think that's worth questioning yeah definitely, definitely. Since that we, is interesting to think about yeah and since we tend to like give our friends maybe the benefit of the doubt a little bit more than we do our partners at times mm-hmm. or like if our friends piss us off in the same way that our partners might we may be like ah, oh, that's just so and so Mm-hmm. and may not take it as personally as we would if it were a lover doing the same thing. And I think there could be people out there who would say, uh-uh, no, for me, it's the opposite. But either Maybe. way, still mm-hmm. like, take a look at it and be like, okay, what's going on there that's making you treat those people differently just because yeah. they're in a different category in your life? Yeah. Um, so yeah. if well, you're yes. delving, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, I kind of wanted us to first focus on what are the things that we can do, like what's kind of the work that we can do beforehand, before we're in a moment of conflict, like what's the work that we can be doing in our relationships to kind of set a good foundation, as it were, for when conflict arises. Yeah, so a couple episodes ago, we brought you the new and improved Scrum, which we now have coined the term RADAR. Not really, truly. I don't know if we really coined that one, but, but, but we but. no, not the term. But we, we refurbished we said, it. We refurbished <laughs> it. Sure, yeah. We <laughs> we came up with a new acronym for the already acronym <laughs> radar. Um, a which, new better acronym, mm-hmm. exactly. So radaring, which you can go back to that episode and read all about it. But it's also established like some kind of regular check-in, uh, monthly or even you know, bi-monthly or weekly, uh, just to prevent problem solving from happening only when there's like a crisis or when emotions are super, super high in your relationship. So again, it's sort of taking those crazy times when something does happen and having this like safe compartmentalized space to speak about them and to kind of like have tools and uh, build actionable goals for the future. Yeah, I think it's a space like Dedeker and I have found in our radars that often we'll go into one and we do ours monthly. We'll go into one thinking, oh, you know, everything's good right now. It's going to be easy breezy. But at some point during it, something heavy or serious will come up mm-hmm. that that maybe if that had been left alone for months could have ended up as a fight or or at least a more serious disagreement or something. But instead, you know, it's not like, pleasant necessarily but it's constructive and it's in a space where you can actually talk about it and get through it before it becomes something where you're actually raising your voices at each other or Mm -hmm. you know as Dedeker was saying like becoming destructive Mm -hmm. instead of constructive yeah yeah we're gonna beat you guys over the head with radar yeah it's the best many episodes as we possibly can (laughs) (laughs) yep already been doing that so far so having something in place where you're already establishing a good channel of communication with your partner ahead of time is good obviously that one's kind of a a a gimme i suppose Mm -hmm. um even more ideal if it is kind of a regular established space like the radar thing um another thing that you can do 
is something that I like to call uh, kind of checking your arsenal. Or I think that when I was writing my book, I called it like checking your inner weapons rack, which sounds really dramatic. <laughs> um, and Whoa. so this Tell is... Tell us about that. I will. Yeah, so this is a personal yeah. growth exercise. It requires some reflection and some introspection. It's best to not do it when you're in the midst of a conflict right in the moment right. like Definitely this is good not. to yeah. do when you have time to dedicate to personal growth and to some self-awareness and some self-exploration um and it's also good to write this one down as a journaling exercise as well um something that you can come back to and revisit um and basically it's sitting down and reflecting on you know when you're in an argument or in a fight what are the tools or the behaviors that you whip out when you feel like you're losing and we all do this. We all do this. Like we all have tactics that we go to when we feel like we really want to be right and we really want the other person to be wrong. And so we whip out some kind of tool that's or some kind of weapon that's in our arsenal. And if you think that you don't do this, if you think that for some reason this doesn't apply to you, I really recommend that you go and have a chat with somebody um, that you mm -hmm. have gotten into an argument with in the past, ideally multiple times. You know, parents are good for this, siblings are good for this, ex-partners, if that relationship is, you know, healthy and not gonna, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mess up your day to talk to this person or a friend, a person that you've been friends with for a very long time. And you can have a very uncomfortable but illuminating chat with them about, you know, what are the things that I do when I fight? Or what are the things that I do when I argue? What are the things that I do when I'm trying to make the other person wrong? Um, and the reason why this is so important to do is that when you can kind of put a label on your own crappy behavior <laughs> um, uh -huh. and take ownership of your own crappy behavior, it can help you have just that extra little bit of awareness when you are heading into that mode to be able to kind of stop yourself before you do something that is destructive. Um, so as I said, we all do this and we do have like kind of a list of some examples of kind of mm -hmm. some silly like games that we tend to play in these situations. Sometimes yeah, less so. silly than others. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, some of them are kind of rough, but yeah. But yeah it, so the first one is going to be uh, using emotional volume to drown out the other side, which basically means like the angriest, the loudest, or the saddest person is going to win. Mm -hmm. So and it's like it, metaphorical it's kind of like, volume. Yeah, volume, just like yeah. like using your emotions to kind of beat the other person down in some way. Hmm. Yeah, and that and this can be a tricky one because on the outside it can just look like, well, I just have a lot of feelings right now. But right. it's quite possible at some point in the past, being like the angriest one in the argument, like the one who acts out the most in anger. Maybe that is raising mm -hmm. your voice. Maybe that is throwing something or stomping around. Like at some point, probably in your early childhood, that worked. Mm -hmm. um, or being the saddest person, as in like breaking down into tears and becoming hysterical and and not able to listen, not able to have a conversation. Like at some point that worked. And this is so nefarious because it doesn't mean like I'm like it doesn't mean that you're faking it, right? That you're just mm -hmm. using it manipulatively. It's like this is like a neural pathway that's within you that at some point in your history probably worked for winning an argument or making the other person lose the argument. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that's now become sort of a, a habit. Yeah. A little bit yeah. of a cycle. And I think, again, this what's important about this exercise is that you're checking your own arsenal. So really try to be honest with yourself about figuring out, is it possible that I'm using these things to avoid having real conversations or to avoid losing? Mm -hmm. um, and it's mm -hmm. this isn't something that you should use to define it for somebody else because you don't <laughs> know what 
their feelings are, mm -hmm. right? This is more a self-introspection tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, another yeah, tool another that often comes to play is isolation or avoidance. So things like, you know, like like either emotionally or sometimes physically, like pushing your partner away as in doing the mm -hmm. like, don't touch me, don't talk to me. Like just, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to kind of freeze you out essentially. Mm -hmm. Like that's also a tactic that's very common for human beings to use. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is one too that um, on, on both sides of it can be, can be a really difficult thing for people because that um, like in childhood psychology terms, it's often referred to as um, like withholding love. Mm, that, yeah. that a way that parents will often punish a child, you know, if they're not going to like spank them or sit them in the corner or something is to do the same thing is to kind of shut them out, to ignore mm -hmm. them or to, um, you know, punish them by putting them in isolation somewhere mm -hmm. that, that this one can definitely be a very deeply ingrained way of being like, if you do something bad, the way you get punished is by not getting love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's a real deeply rooted one for a lot of people. Yeah, I think. definitely. Um, another one that can come up is looking down on the other person. Uh, and this one is kind of the opposite of the emotional volume one. Mm -hmm. It's saying, hey, I'm the one keeping my cool here while you're being emotional about this. So why don't you get your shit together? Because like clearly I'm the only one being rational here because you're expressing your emotions. Yeah. Right. That it's huh. it's sort of using the other side of it, especially if you are someone who has an easier time compartmentalizing or detaching. And that doesn't mean that you're not legitimately frustrated that this is happening and you wish you could have a different kind of conversation, but maybe examine, are you using this as a way to not really need to listen to what they're saying mm. or to not need well, I mean, to actually look at what you're doing? I mean, it's kind of related to tone policing sure. as well. It's more you on know, like this, at a personal level. Yeah, more on a personal level of kind of telling tone the other policing. person. Yeah, which is telling the other person like what you're saying is not valid because I don't like your tone, essentially. Okay. Um, usually the term tone policing is used in contexts of, his well, these days, usually in online arguments. <laughs> um, right. But How can you tell the tone? <laughs> well, but historically it's been aimed at like women and people mm. who are minorities and people of color essentially saying, well, you're too angry about this, so you yeah, can't yeah, yeah. like we can't have a, a rational discussion about this right now. And sometimes, you know, part of the discussion is the emotions that are part of it. Um, yeah. Right. I so think it's just, it's another tactic to kind of like silence people or invalidate people's <laughs> arguments and emotions, things like that. Yeah. And I think both on that public level and on a personal level, there is, you know, something to be said in this situation uh, for, you know, your, you're being so emotional right now. It's hard for me to understand what it is you're saying. I do want to know though, as opposed to you're being so emotional. Well, that means you're irrational. And so I'm not going to listen to you. Right. Like, that's yeah, kind of a, a subtle, subtle difference there. Difference yeah. there. Or maybe not, not so subtle of a difference actually. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's just a couple examples. There is an infinite number of bullshit games that we play as human beings. I know in my book, I talk about my concede your way to victory tactic that mm -hmm. like got ingrained very early on which is the whole thing of like okay fine fine you win do whatever you want or fine if you mm -hmm. want to do it do it that way okay fine you know which is kind of a mix of like a little bit of isolation and i don't know whatever else i, I can testify it's very effective <laughs> jeez well don't encourage me <laughs> um so i really encourage you 
when you're ready to do this kind of exploratory work to sit down, do some free writing, do some thinking. If you need to go talk to people, probably not best to go talk to your partner about this because it may be a little bit of a sore subject. Um, yeah, I mean, unless you're at that point where unless, you... Unless you feel like that's, you know, going to be comfortable for you yeah. or useful for you. Um, and think about, like, what are the things that you fall back on when you feel like you're about to lose an argument? And whether that is an argument with your partner or with the family member or with a stranger online. Um, what about you two? I got to share my concede way to victory tactic. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think I'm probably the first one, like the, like, crying or... Just being really upset, like I, I've definitely had moments where I've gotten like really, really upset, and I feel like it kind of stops the issue. Um, mm. Yeah, and then I, and then I win, and that's that's no good. That's probably my big bad one. Mm. Mm. I feel like uh, of the ones we've listed so far, I've definitely used all of them, uh, except maybe the the isolation one. Like that one is more one that that is very upsetting if someone does that to me mm-hmm. of like withdrawing me and too. it's less likely to be something that I would do. Um, but yeah, like yeah. I've had arguments where I've been the one who's sort of the cold calculating emotionless one and, and kind of using that to say, I must be right. Cause I'm being more rational than you mm. or, or being the one who is more emotional cause I'm more hurt or I'm more angry or be just being louder. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that can happen. Um, I think I've done the concede your way to victory. Yeah. Maybe I learned it from you. I don't know. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Um, another really common one that I've people use that too, yeah. is, uh, gosh, it's technically a logical fallacy. I think on John Oliver, oh. they they started calling it whataboutism. Um, yeah. The, which is... Okay. Trump which, does this. Yes. But what which about... Is, good God, like shows up all know. the time in politics these days, which is but like, what about oh, the well, you're, you're calling out my bad behavior, but what about this time two years ago when you did the same thing? Right. Or, exactly. but what about when your other partner did this and it was okay there? Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's definitely a tactic that's really common and, and is a good one for if we're kind of panicking and feeling like we're about to be wrong and we yeah, don't want to be. Deflecting. Yeah, putting, deflecting. Putting the blame on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, or bringing up, well, I mean, you just set up a bringing up like shit that happened six months ago or mm-hmm. years ago or anything like that and being like, well, but that time that you did X, Y, and Z was really fucked up. Mm-hmm. I think and, that, oh, sorry, please go on. No, no, but but yeah, just that, I don't know, we, um, I went to a therapy session where the therapist said, you know, don't bring up anything that's happened. If it hasn't happened in like the last two weeks, then like you're not allowed to bring it up just Oof, to like wow. break Jeez. that pattern. Wow. I know. Yeah. But I thought it was really good and it did help like mm. just to get myself out of the pattern of being like, well, you fucking did this, uh, you know, six months ago or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, and that's, I mean, that's kind of a callback to our, our episode on, like healing old wounds mm-hmm. and resentments because it can exactly. be so hard when I've definitely gotten to the points in relationships where it's like the conflict we're having today is like connected in this spider web to like every conflict we've had the past year that exactly. maybe never fully actually got resolved. And so that's yeah. why it's all still connected and it's gonna be so hard to get yourself out of that, out of that mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to bring this one up too, so I'm glad you you talked about that Emily, but just yeah, this idea of of not just you're saying I did this, but what about when you did the same thing, but even just like in the middle of the argument pivoting to an entirely different argument about mm-hmm. some yeah. completely other thing that happened 
that maybe you feel like you have more leverage in that one. Mm, or maybe yeah. it's an argument that you already feel like you've won. And so you want to rehash that one because you know you can win it. Mm, interesting. Right? I think there's a lot of stuff like that that can go on. Um, something something else that I wanted to, to bring up in relation to this, and we'll talk about these more in our techniques for once you're in the moment, but in terms of the you know being the most emotional one versus being the the Vulcan who's super rational about it, I think that's one that I found has been really powerful to try to uh, very intentionally try to be both. So like rather than thinking like I want to be in the middle, but it's like I want to be both. I want to allow myself to feel and also like receive the emotions that that I'm getting from you while at the same time like maintaining a sense of like being able to be rational about it and almost like observe it from the outside mm. uh, it's just one i realized we didn't have specifically on our other list mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and i found that one to be really helpful which is specifically something that i got from shambhala mm -hmm. uh, meditation which i highly recommend the book shambhala the sacred path of the warrior um really really good book for a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. <laughs> We're going to talk about the things in the moment now. Yeah, um, yeah. So ideally, you know, in an yes. ideal world, you would work out all your stuff in the context of a radar, or mm -hmm. you'd work it all out in a very nice, respectful, calm, loving way. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't live in that kind of ideal world. And so that means that we do run into conflict. So what are some... Like, what are some things that people can do when they find themselves actually in the moment of things getting a little bit heated, emotions flaring, and now we're in the middle of an argument? Halt. Or halted. In the or, name of love, perhaps? Yes. Well, no, I... Mm. It's funny because I always say de-halted. Did you say de-halted? Or de-halt. <laughs> but so I you guess put it, the D at the beginning. You don't say halted, exactly. you say de-halted? But That's... I think halted is probably better. But it's <laughs> we've talked about it a lot on this show. It is hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or drunk. Or um, drinking. So, or drinking, yeah. If, if you're drinking, yeah, probably not the best time as you are slowly getting drunk to have an argument. Exactly. Your inhibitions yeah. are going to be down. 
But yeah. because of all of those things, your inhibitions or just anything, just your your emotional well-being may not be at the best place if you are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or drinking. So definitely, first and foremost, look and see if any of those things are the case, and then maybe think about having an argument at a different time. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, have you guys heard of um, uh, decision fatigue... You're mm-hmm. familiar with the concept. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically this idea that, that every decision that we make takes a certain amount of energy that mm. we that we have, and we only have a certain amount each day, and we have less of it as we're more hungry or if we're not getting enough sleep or, or we haven't developed that ability as much. That makes that, sense. Um, and so for people like, for example, the president of the United States, any president, not just this particular one, don't, I don't want to talk about him. Okay. Um, any president any president of the u.s uh, has someone else pick out their clothes for them every day and the reason for this actually is decision fatigue it's taking away any unnecessary unimportant decisions so that the bulk of the president's mental energy can be used for that or for twitter is that true damn it i did it shit don't talk about him uh, yes, is no, that, that is true? that is actually true, uh, and that there are a lot I of business. I guess it makes sense. That's why I don't think the president chooses his or her own meals. Yes, I'm including a her in there because yeah, maybe someday. No, I love it. That's um, why I kept saying the president instead of using a pronoun oh, at all. Great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So actually, a lot of business people, um, especially in positions where they're having to make a lot of decisions at that more kind of CEO sort of level, mm-hmm. uh, will do things like that. Like either plan all of their wardrobes in advance or have someone else do that. Same with their food. Um, and that you can even do this in your own life, which is, you know, taking care of some of those mundane decisions that are still going to use up your decision energy in the evening instead of having to do them in the morning so that right away in the morning you can be productive and use that energy. But that same decision fatigue also applies to self-control. So that's why you're more likely to break your diet at night than you are in the morning because you've used up a lot of your decision-making ability. And so you're going to make less good decisions, which equates to having less self-control. And I think that the same thing applies to emotional management, emotional Mm -hmm. control for yourself. Because I think that's, again, a form of self-control. It's that I feel something and I choose how I want to react to it Mm -hmm. rather than just just acting the way I feel right then. So it's the same kind of thing. If you're tired, if it's the end of your day, if you're hungry, uh, right? If you're drinking, anything that's going to decrease your ability to have self-control and make rational decisions is going to make your discussions a lot less effective. And so just halt and (laughs) halt. Come back to it another time, Mm -hmm. but plan a time to do it. Don't just leave it forever. Yeah, and it, obviously it can depend on what the context is. If you realize like, oh, this is, this is, we're getting snapping at each other because I'm super hungry, you know, go take care of that. Or if it is like, I'm too angry to actually have a productive discussion mm-hmm. about this, go hang out by yourself, you know, for a couple hours or go take a walk or go take a run or whatever it is that helps you process your anger to be able to step back to it. Um, and the whole, you know, taking time away from each other, I do want to highlight that as as being in intentional and different from Mm. using like the tool of isolating yeah because it is it's different when like in the middle of an argument you storm off slam the door and like lock your partner out of your room and then and don't say anything about it for a number of hours or if you're just like walking around the house you know stonewalling your partner and not saying anything and ignoring what they say the silent treatment doing Mm -hmm. that versus Mm -hmm. if you're like you know what I'm really angry or I'm just like too sad to actually talk about this right now. I'm going to take an hour 
and go take a walk. Um, yeah. And even though that is you separating, maybe that is you isolating yourself, but with communication and with intentionality rather than as a tactic to try to win the argument. Yeah. Yeah. Something I've found myself doing is also adding kind of a reassurance that like, even though I'm really frustrated or, or angry right now, that I do have faith that we're going to work through this and I still love you, but like, leave me the fuck alone for a little while mm. <laughs> just to kind of add that in again maybe that's part of my baggage of being like not wanting to feel abandoned uh but but i've definitely found that it's been it's made me feel better and hopefully it's made my partners feel better as well to get that little reassurance along with it if even when i know that i'm really angry and i'm not acting much like i love you right now mm. just feel like i do i'm confident we're going to get through this even if i totally if i don't totally feel it mm. myself mm. but that kind of fake it till you make it thing of yeah. like I have confidence we're going to figure out a way to work through this. I'm glad that we're talking about it, but let's do it later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something else that you can do in the moment. Now, this is actually ideal if you have decided, like, it's time to halt and we're going to mm -hmm. take a little time away from each other and you have a little bit of time to recenter and ground yourself and reflect. Um, it can be good to check for what I like to call competing realities. Some people call it competing narratives. Um, and so basically, it's basically, you know, the fancy smancy way of saying that there's multiple sides to the story, but it's not just that it's recognizing like you have a story of how things went down or whatever it is that you're arguing about um, or disagreeing about. Your partner also has a story of how things went down. And the thing that's important to accept and to recognize is that both of those stories are simultaneously true and false. Simultaneously true in that for you, your story is your reality. It is because it's your perception. It is your reality for your partner. Their story is their reality, their perception. But then there also is actual reality um, of what actually happened, which unfortunately no human being actually really has the monopoly on. Um, and it's being able to recognize and just accept that you know, neither of you in this situation is the one person who knows what the truth is and knows exactly what happened. So it's a little bit of a heady concept, but, you know, if you're taking time apart in a fight, it can be good to start, you know, writing down, like, what's my version of the story? What's my partner's version of the story? And kind of writing that down with the assumption that your partner has good intentions. And now that's a really interesting writing exercise to like write your partner's version of the story with good intentions. Um, can be really, really illuminating. Um, but it's just this, it's like what I see often with clients is that anytime there's a conflict where one person insists like, no, I'm, I saw what happened. I know what you said. I know what I said. Like, this is the way it was and you did this and then I did this and like, I will not accept any other alternative to that. Um, like that's where conflict tends to perpetuate a lot is when there's a person in a situation who has trouble accepting and acknowledging that there may be multiple realities, essentially, and not in a weird cosmic sci-fi way. <laughs> That's as cool as that would be. <laughs> Although I have found that in arguments about the existence of parallel universes, not being able to believe in them can be a stumbling block there too. Mm. Well, sure. <laughs> that would make sense. No, Interesting. I, I, I found that this one, in addition to you know this sort of scenario where it's kind of a way to to get past trying to have a monopoly on the truth. I've also found it for me to be a really effective way of, of, of essentially establishing a starting point from which to 
reach a resolution, like from which to make things better. So something that Dedeker and I have talked about in the past is sort of once we get to a point of saying, okay, it seems like we both have very different stories about something that's been going on for a while. And then actually with each other, having that conversation of like, here's what it seems like you're saying your story is. And then the other person can be like, and it seems like yours is this. Can we change those? Is it possible for us to adjust those stories? Mm -hmm. Or what can we do that will accommodate both stories, right? But is just even mm -hmm. with each other, and hopefully your partner has also listened to this episode and they're like, wow, love it. <laughs> if you're both on the same page about it, it can be super effective in terms mm -hmm. of saying, okay, great. Like now we know that we both have these two different realities. I had no idea because my reality was my truth. I had no idea you would experience yours that way. Mm -hmm great, now that we know, we can work toward making something better. We can make, you know, work toward changing that so that it's more positive. Mm -hmm. In addition to this, uh, we also have <laughs> written down on our list here, I love it, is just whip out all the great tools <laughs> that we've talked about. <laughs> the millions of great, great tools. <laughs> so obviously we talked about yeah. radar already mm -hmm. is more of a before the discussion kind of thing. Although I suppose you could actually do a little mini radar right there in the moment if you needed Possibly, to. Possibly if you felt mm -hmm. like you wanted that structure. Emergency uh, but, radar. Yeah, yeah, emergency radar. I like that. Uh, but one of the other, uh, one of the other, well, okay. One source would be our Five Ways to Suck Less at Communication episode, where we talk about a few different communication techniques. They're also sprinkled throughout a lot of our other episodes, but there are things like nonviolent communication or using the Triforce of communication. Maybe part of this conflict is because one of you is trying to give advice when the other person just wants support, right? That, that it could be as simple as that, and you could avoid having the whole argument. Um, but anyway, all, all of these things, and that's... Uh, it's an opportunity to look at which tools work for you. You know, try them out. See, see what techniques work. Maybe even prepare little scripts with each other. I know that sounds really cheesy, but I've found it can be really effective if you have sort of set patterns of ways that you say things. Like NVC, nonviolent communications, kind of built around that. But there's other ones as well mm -hmm. of kind of allowing you to follow a script can help you to still be communicating truthfully. But to do it in a way that you kind of have little touchstones or buoys, as I like to call them, of am I still on the right track in terms of communicating this effectively? Uh, and then uh, another one I want to bring up here that's on our list is to do your best to avoid saying things like you always or you never type mm. of statements. Oh, I hate that shit. I know. Yeah, and I, it's really hard. I am bad about this. I'm so much better than I was before. Maybe I'm not bad about it anymore, but I know that there was a time when I absolutely did this. Every argument that I was in, you know, in my my 20s, it was some sort of like, well, you're always doing this or you're always saying this or how oh, about you never do this thing. Uh, mm. And I find that now I usually can catch myself as I'm as I'm thinking it before I say it and stopping and going, okay is there a more truthful way that I could say something like that? Right? Like yeah. kind of a way to make it more personal rather than you always or you never do something. I think that's a huge one. Yeah, that is a huge one. I wish I had a better technique of how to do that besides just like becoming aware of it mm. and and just like training yourself in that ability to to stop yourself before you say it. 
Well, even often, often just getting yourself to do the whole I statements thing over you yeah, statements. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, I like, feel statements too. Yeah, that in itself is helpful. It's not a perfect solution because mm-hmm. it can be very easy to be like, I always feel like you're a dick to me. <laughs> um, I always notice you always I being always a jerk. Notice, you know? <laughs> So like yeah, just just saying oh use I statements by itself is not yeah or disguising it in like I feel like you always do exactly this, or, or like I feel attacked I feel judged I feel criticized right. is just the flip side of saying like you're you attacking this, me you're yeah. criticizing me you know things like that so that one's a little bit of a tricky one um, yeah but yeah just having an awareness of that in itself I think like Emily was talking about like the that whole two weeks rule. That really helps because as soon as you say you always and you never, you're immediately referencing the entire history of the relationship, right? Yeah, yeah um, which is bullshit because <laughs> it, it, there, I mean, it most likely there was a time in your relationship when conflict was not as present or at least when like the specific conflict in which you are bringing up that that wasn't the case. So to say always is mm-hmm. just illogical. It's not, a, it's not a real thing. So yeah, I really like that two week thing. And I think that's not to say, though, that if there's some systemic issues in your relationship, that's not to say that you can never talk about systemic things, you know, but it can be. I think uh, radar is actually a great context for talking about these things to be like, hey, I've noticed that we've come into this particular disagreement a number of times now. Mm -hmm. Like, or I noticed that we've like this is a really silly example, but like with Jason, I noticed that we've often fought about when to eat food. <laughs> um, it's true, though. It's true. that Jace often gets angry about the dishwasher being loaded incorrectly. Uh, I, you know what? I, I don't. I don't get angry. Uh, Let's move past this one. Um, come on. But I'm just. I just want to say that. By eliminating you always or you never statements, it doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge anything that's been systemic or repetitive. And if something has been systemic and repetitive, it means you probably should address it sooner rather than later. Um, But still taking care to avoid those kind of sweeping blanket statements about Mm -hmm. somebody's behavior. Yeah. Like the phrasing that I feel like will often come up for all three of us is just saying I've feel like I'm noticing a pattern that's mm, happening. Mm-hmm. Here's what it is. Is there something we can do together to try to change this rather than yeah. you always do this. This is your problem. Mm-hmm. So I think also saying you always do this also carries with it this implication that you believe they're always going to do it forever into the future too. Mm, mm. Interesting. Not just, yeah. you know, it's one thing to say you have always done this in the past versus you always do it as a mm. continuous state. Hmm. Not that I think either is a good thing to say, but it carries with it that, which is kind of setting yourself up for failure or setting them up for failure because it's saying, I don't believe you're going to change. And so you're not, you know, even in subtle ways are not going to be as supportive to them actually changing that behavior. Mm. So I think I've noticed a pattern. Let's try to break out of it can be really effective. And that also the advantage of using radar or something that's regular is then you, you have a preset period to say, here's the pattern. Let's try to change this. And then in a month, we can revisit this and see if we did, mm-hmm. right? So then you have even a clearer way to see, oh, you don't always do this because we just went a month where there mm-hmm. were these times mm-hmm. it didn't it happen, never happen or, yeah. right? Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. 
Yeah. Uh, so the other thing, um, again, watch your arsenal, watch your inner weapons rack. Like, again, if you've done the work ahead of time and you're able to recognize like, oh, this is a shitty thing that I do, or this is another <laughs> shitty thing that I do. Uh-huh. And if you've already done that work, then when you're in the moment and emotions are high and it starts to come out, you can be like, oh, that's that thing that I always do. And I think that I'm about to lose an argument and I'm trying not to. Um, so be aware of that, um, to pull in some of the Gottman Institute stuff. Also um, be aware of bringing in the, what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse for your relationship. And often the stuff that we pull out of our arsenal, our tools that we kind of have at the ready for winning an argument often fall into these four categories, like some iteration of these four categories. And so just to review, that's um, stonewalling, which is things like giving the silent treatment or isolating or ignoring your partner or intentionally shutting them out, um, not in like a communicative, compassionate way. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like contempt, which can be like sarcasm, eye rolling, uh, name calling. Yeah, um, like personal attacks. Personal attacks. I think that tactic of of kind of doing the holier than thou, like I'm better Mm. than you because I can keep my emotions in check and you're irrational like some of that can be a little bit of contemptuous as well mm-hmm. can see that um like belittling behavior as well yeah things like criticism um which is like not constructive criticism but like direct attacks it falls into those things like you always you never um mm-hmm. things like that or blaming slash defending so as in not taking responsibility like either putting all the responsibility on the other person stuff like the whataboutism um mm-hmm which is all about making it about your issues or your things that you've done bad um, or defending as in like being very defensive about everything and having a justification for every possible little thing that your partner may take issues with. Um, So those are the four horsemen, those four broad categories. Um, You'll probably find as you do the personal work of figuring out what are your silly tactics and like games that you play in arguments, often Mm -hmm. they will fall under those four categories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gosh, I mean, I'm thinking of even more things as we're going through this, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's those four cover a lot, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Jeez, all right, yeah. So if finally, if there's just like too much going on, if there's too much volatility, uh, a lot of like repeating oneself or interrupting each other, um, then just like just try to go into separate rooms and this is an interesting thing apparently it kind of sounds weird but mm-hmm. it's worked for a lot of people is communicate via email or text when which you're I in the same house or same right. apartment yes. not not as in not like you're both gonna at work go and you're sure. gonna fight via text <laughs> yeah exactly but like talk to each other via text or email which mm-hmm. is cool because there is something kind of amazing about writing down your thought process or your argument or just you know where you're coming from and being able to look at it and analyze it and then you know repeat it back to a person or send it off to a person and have them like look at it from that standpoint yeah i think it often like again can take the emotion out of it a bit not necessarily but it can add rationalization maybe to something yeah well i think it's more rational this tactic can be helpful for a number of different scenarios. Like sometimes people just have a hard time expressing their emotions or their thoughts when they are faced face to face with their partner staring at them yeah, and looking verbally. at them. Like sometimes that makes people just much more uncomfortable and have a harder time coming up with their words mm-hmm. um, versus being able to sit down and write them out. Gives a little bit more time to process and to pick the right words that aren't maybe necessarily just emotionally fueled. Um, 
you know, if you're falling into a pattern where the two of you are just constantly interrupting each other, it can help to give some space into that communication um, and kind of slow the communication down. And so that both sides can feel like I'm going to, obviously I'm going to send an email and there isn't a way for you to interrupt in the middle of that email without me being able to write out my thoughts and feelings. I've even, you know, in, in relationships where things are particularly heated, I've had times sitting next to a partner, like typing on the same laptop on a Hmm. flight, actually on the same laptop. Okay. (laughs) Yes. On the same laptop, just passing back and forth. Um, And even that level of separation was enough to be able to actually have a productive discussion. Yeah, that's that's interesting, actually, to add that element of even being in the same room, Mm -hmm. but saying we're going to have this conversation through text messages or emails or something. That is interesting. There, there could be something to it. This is not a technique that I have used, Mm -hmm. so I can't really speak for it. I know that I've definitely found with certain partners that some people just feel like they can express themselves more clearly in writing than they can speaking. Absolutely. Uh, And I feel like for myself, I'm more the opposite, Mm -hmm. that I have a harder time putting things down into words that I feel like I can speak out loud. Uh, So yeah, just something to try though. I think that a time when I have written things down beforehand that I've then said to somebody is if it's something where I'm especially afraid of their reaction to it, but it's something that, that I need to say, uh, that it's something that's important to me and I don't want to get derailed by their emotional reaction or their angry reaction to it or whatever it is that I found it useful for that. And I could see this technique working in that kind of a situation too. Um, I haven't specifically done the like going into separate rooms of the house and talking about something via text message, but I have found that like maybe later on in the day or even a couple hours later and you speak to someone via text or email, there can be like a certain amount of gentleness that's like allowed back into the conversation from doing that. Just in, again, I think like time and space is helpful because like you said, you're not in front of the other person confronting them being like, I have to win this argument. Mm. I have to make my voice heard. I feel like I'm not being understood and like all of the volatility that comes from that. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it can just allow for, like a little bit more kindness to seep back into the conversation when you're away from that person. Mm, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what about after we've used all these techniques and we've gotten to the end of our argument or our fight or whatever we're going to call it, what are some things that we can do here? Well, let's talk about the end of a fight, first of all, <laughs> um, because ideally there's been some kind of solution or some kind of resolution or some kind of closure, ideally, that doesn't necessarily mean that both of you are going to walk away from it feeling fantastic, right? Right. Usually, we're usually, sometimes we, you sometimes you do. You know, sometimes you get through an argument, you get through a fight, you you start to see eye to eye, you come up with some kind of solution, um, then you feel good and lovey dovey and make up sex and whatever. Um, but for many of us, that's not always the case. Like even if we come to a solution, even if we feel understood you can still just feel kind of icky afterwards. Yeah. You know, like, because it, it can still, you know, it can still be an emotional roller coaster. It can still not feel great. And so I think that when I was writing this section, I kind of wanted to think about, like, what about, like, that residual ickiness that you have after a fight, um, mm-hmm. even if things have been resolved? Yeah. Something to be mindful about with this is to avoid 
punishing your partner afterward, even if you know you feel like it's been resolved. But you know, this could look like just being passive aggressive. It could be seeking revenge, which I think can also look like, especially if you come to a specific agreement, trying to do that, like following the letter of the law rather than mm-hmm. the spirit of the law to be like, okay, how can I find a way around this or a way to show them that this rule is stupid by violating it mm-hmm. in a roundabout way, right? There's these little things that we do that that sound very childish when you say them like that, but come up a lot that, you know, I've, I feel like we've all done some form of this, of mm-hmm. kind of punishing our partner for a while after a fight, just through our behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's something to be, to be mindful of and to try to take active steps to avoid doing, especially guess, if you know that that's in your arsenal. Yeah, I guess that's another part of that exercise is yeah. also looking like, how do I, what do I do after fights, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know? Am I still trying to win it, even yeah. though we've resolved it somehow? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, yeah. Another thing that can be helpful, something that Jason and I have incorporated in the past, is like if we've come to a solution and we know that we have and we're feeling good about that part, but we still feel kind of icky, um, is to add an appreciation round like you do in the radar. Um you know, that sometimes would be like, can we just have like a little quick appreciation round right now? Which can be just, okay, okay. Like we sit down and then you compliment each other, say specific things that you're thankful for, for each other, you know, any kind of, you know, words of affirmation or verbal forms of affection, or maybe even touch, things like that. Just those like little reconnecting activities. Um, and it like, it doesn't have to be makeup sex. I'm actually, I'm not I think even- rarely I, it is. I'm not I, even really into like makeup no. sex as a concept at all. <laughs> I think it's much better to- it Works for some people. Works for some people, not for sure. Me. Yeah, not for me either. Um, but to just take a moment to build each other back up again, essentially. I think also if it's been a conversation where you have been spending a lot of time criticizing each other and maybe it's been constructive criticism hopefully it has been but it's nice to then after that take a little moment both for yourself and for your partner to talk about the things you do appreciate the things because i feel like so often we can get focused on what's wrong and not talk about what's good what's right so i think having this opportunity to even i think a lot of times it can even be i really appreciate your willingness to have this conversation with me, or I really appreciate that you're willing to work together with me to make this better. Or it could be about something else entirely, right? Mm-hmm. Like I really admire, you know, how how good you are at your job. I really admire watching you do that. Or I really admire how well you keep the house clean, right? This can look like so many different things um, that, that it's really good, especially after a time of maybe some criticism mm-hmm. to to reestablish like, hey, but here's all these awesome things about you that I do appreciate and I don't take them for granted. Yeah. So uh, the next one is doing an alternate activity together or separately just to get your mind off of something else. For me, like video games are always a really mm. good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do have a lot of games that I can play with my partner, which are really fun and doing something like cooperatively in that way. Mm. Uh, can be really fun, I think, and and very like 
meaningful and i don't know i i really value that or like it, go yeah, maybe going moving. straight into like playing mortal Kombat or street fighter against each other might not be <laughs> yeah, the best yeah, yeah. <laughs> no like again like or emphasis hearthstone on the cooperation. i found in personal, in personal yeah, experience don't, don't don't try to play hearthstone maybe just don't do a competitive game don't do a competitive game <laughs> <laughs> oh my god no like do do like secret of mana because they're that mm. one is one. cooperative it's and really one. good or dream daddy that's yes. a really good one. And it's yeah. so sweet. Aww. Yeah, Dedeker and I really game. like those kind of sort of story-based games yeah, rather than action-based because they don't have to be made for two players for you to play them together because mm-hmm. you have time mm-hmm. to read it and say, oh, what are we going to do? Or, oh, what do you think is going to happen next? I think I know, right? Those <laughs> kinds of things can be really fun. And unlike a movie where you have to constantly pause it, the game is waiting for you to do to, the next, yeah. to prompt the next thing. Yeah, uh, another one in the same vein that I really like is doing some kind of physical activity to get the tension out of your body. I've noticed, especially during heavy talks, even if it's not an argument, but just where we're talking about heavy things, or maybe I'm supporting a partner, that I'll start to notice, you know, my breathing getting more shallow or mm-hmm. my chest getting tight, or I'll be very like hunched over or, mm-hmm. or we're cuddling in a weird position, right? There's lots of different things that for me, I find that usually something I want to do is some kind of movement afterward. And, you know, I've been at discussion groups where this can mean everyone gets up and does some kind of interpretive dance, maybe not interpretive dance, but like (laughs) shaking it out or right. Making noises and shaking around. And that's, it can be fine. I find for me, often it's just like getting up and stretching Mm -hmm. or Mm. going for a walk is something that can be really nice. Go take a yoga class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking even something that's just shorter, right? You can even just, yeah, I think a yoga class after would probably be really good for me. But mm-hmm. even just going for a walk, doing well, something think, to get yourself out of that body language of Yeah, of I think this is where like if you have kind of more like somatic experience or awareness, mm-hmm. you know, of, of starting to develop some awareness of like where certain emotions live in your body or where muscles tend to tighten up when you're feeling like you want to protect yourself. Um or you know what happens in your body when you're starting to feel angry of just having an awareness of that in the first place and then kind of taking steps to actually like like literally like release those muscles whether it's through like massaging or stretching or going for a run or whatever it can really make a big difference um so i feel like there are so many tactics that we could throw at you for handling conflict um but these were some real good ones i I like to think so (laughs) Let's hope so. Um, If some of these work for you, definitely let us know. Or if some of these backfire for you, definitely let us know too, because that's always a possibility. And we love to know about that too. Um, I just want to end off this episode by giving a disclaimer that if you're in a relationship that is filled with a lot of conflict and where you're having to give a lot of energy and a lot of effort to managing conflict all the time, it is okay to leave that relationship. Like the solution is not always going to be like, I have to take it on me to figure out ways to solve this conflict. Sometimes the solution is I just need to not be in this relationship. Um, So like we've talked about on past episodes, check what your ratio is of positive interactions to negative interactions. Um, If you feel like it's a 50-50 split, that's not good enough. If you feel like it's a 60-40 split, that's not not good enough. enough. (laughs) Um, Science says it's one to five. Five. Yeah. So one negative interaction for every so five 80, positive 80, ones. It's 80-20. It's yeah. 80-20. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, one it's, negative interaction to every five positive ones. It's actually less than 80 20. Is it less? Because this is one out of six. Oh. It doesn't, the math doesn't work quite as well, nice. Whatever. It's like one out of every eight or like 18% or That's something 18%. like that. 18%. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in that give neighborhood. Or t- give or take a couple percent. You know, so be aware of that. Uh, obviously, it doesn't mean either extreme. Like, don't be so afraid of any conflict happening that you think things are healthy or unhealthy and toxic. But also, if it's a ton of conflict, that's not okay either. Um, Watch out for any gaslighting that may be happening. You know, um, if someone's trying to insist that there shouldn't be any conflict whatsoever and that you're making it up by bringing up any kind of argument, that's not okay. Um, Or if there is a lot of conflict and someone's trying to tell you, no, our relationship is great and you should be happy, that's also not okay. Um, And also take care that conflicts or fights or arguments that happen, um, that they're actually resolved. you know, if you're at the end of an argument, if you're still feeling icky, check whether that's just residual ickiness or if it's like, no, actually that feels like it wasn't resolved because those things can build up over time and build resentment um, and become really old toxic wounds. And also make sure that that uh, it's resulting in steps forward. That's why, like, of course, as we always say, we love radar because it actually forces you to have that conversation about what are the next steps forward? What are the actions that we're gonna take? Um, but yeah, just have an awareness that the conflict that you're having is ultimately constructive more often than it's destructive. Yeah, something I wanted to point out too, you'll notice with the tools that we've talked about here, there are a few that you do together with a partner such as radar or um, the the going into separate rooms and texting with each other, things like that. And there are a number of them that are something that you do yourself, right? That involve some introspection or some monitoring of the ways that you behave and the things you do during these discussions. You'll notice that none of these are things that you are forcing upon your partner. Mm. None of them are things that you're forcing them to do. But hopefully they should be doing these things too. And I would say that's another one here with this disclaimer of if your relationship is filled with conflict, but that also resolving conflict in a healthy way is something that involves both parties. Mm. And if I think a lot of people can get caught up in the idea that if I just learn enough techniques about how to be good enough with my communication, how to be good enough in resolving conflict, that I'll be able to make this work by myself without Mm. my partner doing their side of it to help. Yeah. And so often I see people who are very diligent about learning how to have better relationships, having really negative ones because of that, because they feel like, oh, it just must be that I haven't learned enough of the techniques or I'm not mm. using them well enough or something and will stay in you know, really hurtful relationships or even like they don't have to be with bad people, but it's just not a great relationship and that both of you are ultimately going to be happier without that, even if it doesn't seem like that at the, at the moment. So that is something to keep in mind. Hopefully, yeah. though. Yeah, you shouldn't be the only person in your relationship trying to resolve right. conflict. Right. And if that is the case, that doesn't mean you need to try harder to force them to resolve conflict. It just means maybe that's not a relationship that you should stay in, mm-hmm. uh, as hard yeah. as that may be. We always end on that note. I know, right? <laughs> Well, Sorry, I just, maybe you should leave. I, I just think it's worth saying because I think so much of the, that, like, the... It's okay. It's okay to not be in this okay. relationship. It is okay. And it's probably actually good. But like one of the things that I find so upsetting that I see in a lot of the mainstream dating advice out there that's very much based in this sort of Christian monogamy way of like once you're mm. committed to this, you can never get out of it 
if it's not working, it's just because you're failing rather than just saying it's okay sometimes to not be in a relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, that I think that's one of the most destructive and dangerous things that I hear so often in kind of mainstream dating advice, which is probably why we bring it up so often because because <laughs> yeah. you could interpret our stuff the same way of mm. saying like, oh yeah, use all these tools and then you'll never have breakups. And it's just, that's just yeah. not the way it works. Yeah. Mm. So. Anyway, I'm sorry for ending on a downer every time, but I think it's worth it. And maybe for you, that won't be a downer. It will be the thing that sets you free. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also sorry for you going through that. All right. We thank are you all here for you. <laughs> yes, we are. If you want support, you can join our patron group. Yeah, definitely. Woo. Yeah. And if you have a specific question or a comment that you want played on the show, you can call our phone number, which is 678-M-U-L-T-I. Zero five, and you can leave us a voicemail there, or you can send us an audio message through our Multiamory Facebook page. You can also email us at info at multiamory.com, or you can send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We respond to all of those ourselves. Uh, sometimes it takes us a while to get back, and I'm sorry if we do, but often that's how we get our inspiration for episode topics, to know what's on people's minds. It's prompted us to make adjustments to the format of our show and all of that. To support our show and to join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript of this episode is available on the episodes page on multiamory.com. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.